All right, we are continuing on reading through uh, the book of First John. Just a couple of things uh, that Clayton shared last uh, last week that I just want to remind us of. Give us some context going through the book of First John. Uh, John, remember, was reminding the church. The church was still very young in its development. We're looking at you know less than a hundred years of Christ- of Christianity at this point. So there's, there's enough time for people to get things a little bit twisted and to start going off course. And so John is writing to bring people back in to the basic teachings of Jesus. And so as we're, we're kind of midway through here in chapter three, and first John uh, is a letter that really drives home like three foundational things. First is understanding who we are in Christ. The second is recognizing and overcoming sin. And the third thing is loving one another. And if I got to be honest, if we could just get those three things right, it solves a lot of problems. It keeps us laser focused on the mission God has for us and, and hearing him clearly and moving forward in confidence in him. If we can just stay focused to these basic principles. And that's kind of what I'm going to be talking about this morning, because that's what John was talking about in chapter 3. So let's start. We're going to go through it section by section. First John 3, this is verses 1 through 3. John writes, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we could be called children of God. And that is what we are. Just like we sang at the very top of service, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. That's what John is saying. We should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure." So John is about to start addressing people's actions and their behaviors and the way, that, the way that they interact with others in the world, the way that they present themselves. But before you can talk about somebody's actions, it, it, it's kind of like trying the difference between trying to treat a symptom and trying to treat a cause, right? You can treat symptoms of you know, like if you have an upset stomach or you've got a headache or whatever, that's a symptom. And you can treat those symptoms and that's fine. But if, if there's a cause for those things that you don't treat, then they'll just keep coming back again and again and again. And because John is about to start talking about outward actions and outward experiences and expressions, he starts out by addressing the cause. And he's addressing our identity. That's why he starts out with, we should be called children of God. How great the love of the Father lavished on us that we should be called children of God. He's trying to reaffirm for them, this is who you are. Your identity now is not as what you were before. Once you've received the love of God through Jesus, you are his son or his daughter by adoption. And you are transformed by that love from the inside out. Now, that's a process, right? If you've been, you know, if you've been saved or following Jesus any length of time, then you understand that you receive God's love through Jesus and you get saved and you think, Jesus, I want to live my life for you. That doesn't change everything in your life immediately. It changes everything inside immediately. 
But we live in a world that is governed by cause and effect. Cause and effect. So you could have done something before you got saved, and then you got saved, and the cause has been treated, but the effect of the thing that you do is still needs to play out. And that's where some people get hung up. They, they receive Jesus, and then they get frustrated because, wait, I thought everything was going to change, but I've still got these consequences that are kind of messing me up. And just give it time. Just stay the course. Just continue to follow him because those things of the natural world will play out. And once you're past them, uh, you've already begun to chart a new course from the moment that you get saved. That's what, Jesus, uh, what John is trying to talk to them here about is charting that new course. So he starts out by talking about identity because identity shapes not only how we view ourselves and others and the world, but identity is really what determines our motivations. Who you think you are explains a lot about why you do what you do. It all comes from in here. It all comes from in here, right? Uh, John's reminding believers who they are so that they can put in proper perspective what he's about to tell them about what they're doing. And when you see uh, how, how he rolls this out, it's, it's, it's just awesome. And honestly, it steps on toes and hurts a little bit. Uh, but there's good. It's good. So as Paul wrote to the church in, in Ephesus, uh, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. John is speaking about identity because it shines a light on the reason for all that we do. Uh, our actions are not the cause of God doing something in our lives. Sometimes I think we, we get that twisted. We, we pray thinking, I'm going to pray, and it's going to cause God to do something. Or I'm going to uh, worship, and it's going to move God's hand to do something. Uh, that's thinking about our relationship with God transactionally. If I do this, it's going to earn enough favor that he'll do that. And that's not a healthy place to come from in a relationship. When you're married, if that's how you view your marriage, then you're in trouble. If you view it as, oh, if I do this, then that'll make my spouse do that. Then you're, you're looking at your relationship as more of like commodities training. And that's not how we should be looking at relationship. Relationship is about where, where's your motivation? Are you doing that thing because you love that person and that love is motivating you to do something? Or are you doing it because you think, well, if I do this, then it's going to make them do that and I really want them to do that, so I think I'll do this. And that's, that's all logic and reason and cause and effect. So what J John is trying to tell them right at the start is that our actions are not the cause of God doing something for us. Our actions are actually the effect of God doing something in us, right? He does something in us, and that changes us, that transforms us, and it changes our motivation. It changes the reason why we do the things we do, and in that way, the things that are happening in here begin to come out in our lives. Our spiritual identity, who we really are in spirit. Now, we can set up for ourselves a lot of conditions so that people in the world perceive us certain ways. We can establish a persona. 
We can, uh, we can label ourselves as something, and, and, and all, we do a lot of those things. We can, you know, how we want to be perceived by the world. If you're, you know, you've got a social media profile, you don't put everything on there because you want people to see you in a certain way when they look at that profile. You want to project an image of yourself. And that's an earthly identity. That's something that we tend to want to control and we tend to want to manipulate and we tend to want to present in the way that we want it. But we're talking about, and John's talking about our spiritual identity. Whatever you present to the world is a worldly thing, but who you are is not something that you can create. It's not something that you can manipulate. It's not something that you can, uh, you can shift and twist so that you appear a certain way. Our spiritual identity is, is a gift. We can't work our way into being children of God. We can't move things around in our lives and, and adjust certain things to work our way into being a child of God. That is actually something that is just given to us by the Father. And it's shown perfectly on display in the person of Jesus. So, uh, so what we end up with here is, uh, you know, we're, we're just kind of ordinary people, right? We're all pretty ordinary. We're all kind of just like everybody else. But what John is trying to get across in chapter three, right at the start, is that, yes, you're ordinary. You're just like everyone else. But once you have accepted and received that love of God, it changes your spiritual parentage and it transforms you from the inside out so that there is something actually different about you. Followers of Jesus are ordinary people whose lives are transformed by the love of God from the inside out. So that transformation is what he mentions very specifically in 1 John 3, chapter 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we could be called children of God, and that is what we are. God pours out on us his love, and not to belabor the point, but when you receive it, it starts to change things in here, which starts to change what your life looks like on the outside, okay? So John is reminding us something. When, when he talks about being children of God, it's not just John sort of thinking, hey, this is a really great idea. We're all children of God. He's echoing something that, both, that, both, that all three members of the Trinity say in the scripture. The father says we're children of God. 2 Corinthians 6, 18, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Jesus in Hebrews 2, 11, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And the Holy Spirit says this of us. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And so as this scripture from, from Romans tells us, it's the Holy Spirit living in us that causes this transformation to be possible. We can't become children of God on our own, in our own strength. We can't transform our lives on our own, in our own strength. And if I'm real honest, unless you have the Holy Spirit working in you, you kind of don't want to. You don't want to be a child of God very much without the Holy Spirit revealing to you the love that God has poured into you. The reason we don't want to is because we don't even know it's an option without the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. Verses one and two, he talks about this. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but what we know is that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, 
for we shall see him as he is. Uh, John is setting up a little juxtaposition here between what we can expect to see from the world who doesn't know Jesus and what we should expect to see from, from those of us who do know him. He's setting up a little line, a, a line of demarcation, a differentiation point. And, and so what he's saying is if, if somebody doesn't really understand you as a follower of Christ and they're not following Christ, you shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't be offended. You're operating by a different set of rules. You're operating by a different motivation. You're operating by a different standard than, than the world operates at. And so don't be offended. Don't be uneasy. Don't be awkward if your life, if it feels like you're different. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to be, uh, you're supposed to be as a child of God, transformed from the nature of the world. We don't always get it right. But as children, right, every, amen. Pam was the one who said it out loud, but everybody else is like, amen. We don't always get it right, but as transformed people, we understand who we are and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to serve and how we're supposed to honor the Father. Um, Jesus loved everybody, and a lot of people recognized that and they responded to that love, but a lot of people didn't. And he chose not to get offended at that. He chose instead to continue to sacrifice for them. And so that's how we should be operating our lives. We shouldn't get offended if somebody doesn't recognize you know, God in the room or God working through, through our situation or, or what we're trying to minister to them. If they don't recognize it, we can't get offended. We just have to realize, oh, they don't, they don't see it yet. We just pray. We ask for the Holy Spirit to reveal some things to them. Uh, so as his children, we have the Holy Spirit living in our lives, transforming us and helping us along the way. And that's a, that's a roundabout way of saying John is trying to let people know what their identity is because he's about to talk about their actions. And here we go with that. 1 John 3, 4 through 6. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And this is a scripture that gets used sometimes and to sort of beat people over the head a little bit. Because he says, no one who has seen him sins. No one, no one who's seen, who sins knows him. Right? And this is, this is really, uh, there's a lot of room in there for people to, to try to guilt you if you are a Christian, but they see sin in your lives, right? But the message version of this actually clears a lot of things up for me. First uh, John 3, 6, and the message says, no one who lives deeply in Christ makes a practice of sin. None of those who, who do practice sin have taken a good look at Christ. They've got him all backward. So John isn't saying, if you're a believer and you've ever committed a sin, you don't know God. What he is saying is, if you continue to practice sin, you're getting separated from God. And eventually, you won't know him anymore. That's what he's saying. He's not saying we will never sin. Or you're never going to sin. If you do, you should feel terrible. He mentions right here at the top, everybody sins. The difference is we know what we're 
supposed to be doing. We know what we're called to, and we know that we have the power inside to overcome that sin. So if we choose to practice it again and again and again, we do it at the expense of the relationship that freed us from it. And that's what John is saying. And, and I like the, the use of the word practice, right? John sets this up for us like sinning is a, is a practice. Living righteously is a practice. It's a habit. It's, it's something you choose to do because we have free will. God doesn't make us live righteously. Inside, as we're transformed, he motivates us to live according to his word, but he doesn't force us because he wants us to have the choice and to choose love, to choose righteousness, to choose him again and again and again. I, I love that we can use the word practice as it relates to sinning because what happens when you practice? You get better at it, right? I mean, if you want to get really good at sin, you can practice that. And you'll get really good at it. But, you know, but on the other hand, if you want to practice living as God asks us to live in his word, if you want to practice tuning into the motivation of love to serve God and to, to please the Father and to embrace those who he created and to walk in relationship and to build each other up, that's a practice as well. And if you choose to do that again and again and again and again, you get better at it. It gets easier. It gets easier. You, you know, we hear the phrase a lot, practice makes perfect. Of course, there's a lot of variations, right? Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Hopefully, you're not perfectly practicing how to live a life of sin. That would be bad. But, you know, if, if you are, then we'll have prayer at the end of service, and we can, you know, we can deal with it. Uh, but I like... I like the version that says, practice makes progress. Practice makes progress. Because that helps me put in, into perspective what John is talking about. Those who choose to practice sin again and again and again, you progress. You progress down a certain path. Those who choose to follow the motivation of love and the Holy Spirit's leading as a practice, you progress and you move forward. And, and you gain understanding, and you gain wisdom, and you gain a deeper relationship with the Father. And I think that's what we're all after. So it's, what grow, it's what's growing on the inside that produces everything that we see on the outside. Uh, Jesus said this in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 7, 20. He said, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. And this is what John is alerting us to in 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. He says, Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and their sister. So John has been writing about how this transformation of love poured out from the Father changes our motivations. And he's been talking primarily about the sin that's in our own lives, 
right? The things that we're doing that we know that sometimes we hide because it's embarrassing or sometimes we hide because we feel guilty about it. Uh, but I think in a weird way, the fact that as believers, there are certain things that we feel like, oh, I kind of need to hide that. I mean, the shadow proves the sunshine, right? That's, uh, that's evidence that there's something inside of us saying, you know what, that, that is wrong. That's something that you, you know, you should really consider if that gets brought to the light, you know, whatever. Um, but, uh, but I think that, I think that uh, that's evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. But he's been talking about the sin that is just kind of in our lives, that we are committing on our own. But then in verse 10, he, he makes it about the outward expression. He says, anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. He's turning our eyes, as he did in chapter one, he's turning our eyes back to relationships and how being a child of God should be affecting our relationships. 1 John 3, 11 through 15 says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. That's it. And I mean, in, in almost in totality, that's the message of Jesus. We should love God and we should love one another. But love, as we say a lot, love looks like something. Love looks like something. It doesn't just stay in here. It gets expressed outwardly. Verse 12, he says, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. I love that he's equating here life and love. Life and love. Because, it's, because those, are the, those are the things that uh, one is the natural outcropping of the other. We receive the love of God, and that brings us into eternal life. Right? We express the love of God, and it results in the same thing in other people. The, the love of God leads to life here in the natural and then also eternally in the spirit. So in chapter one, he was encouraging us to walk in the light, have fellowship with one another. In chapter two, John was talking about some of the things that come up to try to divide us from one another. And so in chapter three, he's showing us what our relationship should look like as children of God who have the Holy Spirit and who have his love transforming us. Verses 16 through 18. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. And I think this is where the church at times has missed it. And this is where we as believers have missed it sometimes. It's really easy to tell someone, I love you, and let it stop there. It's really easy to tell somebody, oh man, yeah, I'll pray for you, and then move on and let it stop there. And I think what happens if someone is in need of love, they're in need of prayer. And we as the body of Christ, 
we tell them we're going to do it, and then they never see it, that creates division. That creates bitterness. And that creates a perception of who we are and, by connection, who God is. But we know God to be very different. God always does the things he says he's going to do. He always shows up. He's always there to love. He's always there to lift up. And John is encouraging us in this, uh, in this last verse that we read, uh, let us love with, not with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Let us reveal to the world what God has revealed to us. That love is real. That love looks like something. That, that love is more than just like telling someone you love them. It's actually self-sacrifice. It's going out of your way to make sure that that person understands that they are loved. That they are uh, worthy of receiving love from God. That's what this is all about. And that's what opens doors into people's hearts. Because it's not the way the world operates. If you can... If you can make a difference, or if you can be different than the world, then you can make a difference in somebody else's life. And, uh, and so as, as I mentioned in uh, chapter one, this type of fellowship that he's talking about is what we see in Acts two, right? In Acts two, the Holy Spirit fell and everybody was, you know, drawn together in this type of love. Uh, and the practices of this kind of fellowship, you can see it's evident. People were gathering together. They were studying the scriptures together. They were worshiping. They were sharing what they had. They were serving one another, right? This is what John is talking about when he's saying, let us not just love in words and speech, but in action and in truth, in deeds. This is one of the things that love looks like, relationship, diving into the word because the word of God has truth and life and freedom. And as we dive into it with people, it unlocks things in their lives. Worshiping, lifting up God and not lifting up situations. Because there's enough of people focusing on negative situations. And the more you focus on them, it's weird. It doesn't change anything. It just gets you right down deep in the muck with the negative situation. But worshiping and showing people that even though there's something bad going on, my eyes are lifted up. It shows people that there's a different way. There's a different perspective. There's something else that you can do. There's another option. And if it's not an option that they're familiar with and you're living it out, it just might make someone say, hey, wait a second, tell me why you're doing that. Tell me what's going on with you. And so you share and you serve. And this is the kind of thing, this is the kind of fellowship that comes from expressing the transformative love of God poured out in us. And this is a theme that goes throughout this chapter. We're going to see it again in, 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 verse, in, in chapter 4 and 5, is that it's what we do. It's not just what we say we do that shows what we believe. We can say a lot of things. We can say we believe a lot of things, but what actually matters is what are you doing to go along with what you're saying? Because if your words and your actions are the same, that's what we call integrity. If your words and your actions are different, then there's a, lot of, there's a lot of questions about, well, wait, what do you really believe? Okay? So in part, he's wanting them to kind of apply this theme to some of the false teachers, but he's also wanting to apply it as 
a litmus test for these young believers to examine their lives. So we're going to finish up the chapter with uh, verses 19 through 24. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And again, that's relationship. That's relationship. When he knows that he can trust us, he trusts us with stuff. He allows things to flow through us because he knows where our hearts are. And he knows that if he pours it through us, it'll go to the place he intends. It's all, it's all about relationship. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So I want to close with this. <laughs> Funny post yesterday about like, you know, other thing about the fourth time the pastor says, I want to close with this. But I promise this is the only, this is the only time today. I want to close with this, with, with this uh, idea here. So back in verse 7, John was saying, don't be led astray. I don't want you to be led astray. Uh, you know, in, in big biblical spiritual terms, we call that deception which sounds super negative and dark and like, <laughs> but you know, it kind of is. It's insidious, but falling into deception means that you no longer see the world as it is. You see it as something that has been sort of rumored to you, right? You don't see it as God intended. You see it from a different, not godly perspective. So in verse seven, John was warning us not to be led astray. But then throughout this letter, He's really not talking about complicated stuff. This is like Christianity 101. Love God, love one another, confess your sins, receive uh, forgiveness from God, walk in fellowship with each other. It's all basic stuff. And when we read, when you've been walking with the Lord for a little while, we can start to underestimate the power of the basic stuff. We want, you know, there's, we want to know more. You know, that's why, that's why, you know, there's so much teaching out there and so many people saying, hey, I've got a new twist on this. If somebody tells you they've got a new twist on the word of God, red, red alert, right? And that's what John is saying here. If someone is telling you as these false teachers were, hey, 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 I know Jesus said this, but I've been thinking. And if he said this, but this is happening then do you suppose that maybe it's this? And there's something exciting about that to people. Like, hey, wait a second. I understand something in a way that not everybody else does? Are you kidding? There's, there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to know more, right? Proverbs 24, 5 says, the wise are mightier than the strong, and those with knowledge grow stronger and stronger. So there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to know more. Um, and there can be an excitement in feeling like you've advanced kind of beyond the basics. Uh, but I think what John is really trying to hone us in on here in chapter 3 is this, that the foundational principles of our faith keep us grounded in the truth. Anybody ever hear that song? I'm referencing, once again, a song from the mid-90s, so probably not everybody is... 
Only really cool people know it. Um, but there was, there was a song, Aaron Neville and I think Linda Ronstadt sang called Don't Know Much. You guys know this song? Whoo, man. And there is the chorus is so powerful, right? The chorus is very simple. It's just this. I don't know much, but I know that I love you, and that may be all I need to know. And John is saying here, I'm laying out some foundational principles, and I'm also reminding you, don't be led astray. And he's giving us a version of that chorus. You don't have to know much. You just have to know these basics and really dive into them and really embrace them and really allow God to transform you around these foundational principles. And honestly, if that's all you ever know, that's fine. That's enough. That's more than enough to build a life on that God can build something great on. That's all you need to know. It's these foundational principles that keep us moving forward and at the same time keep us grounded and anchored so that we don't get led astray. 